1: There are other ways to connect your phone to your vehicle speakers too. You can see detailed instructions when you Google ways to listen to vision.
0: However and wherever you listen to vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily.
1: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
0: A major player in the apostasy was a God named Baal. He is the king of gods, the leader of spirits. He's the God of fertility. You worship and pray to him when you want your crops to grow. When you give up on God, you turn to Baal. We also are told, how can he turn a culture away from Yahweh? Because it's reflected in his title, because Baal is the God of prosperity. Today.
1: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. All around us, there's conflict between different influences. In this message, Pastor Jeff is speaking about the conflict between light and dark, truth and lies. While he's referring to America a lot throughout this message, it translates to much of the Western world and modern culture all around the globe. If you're keen to catch up on the whole series, the Under the Influence series, you can find all episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Let's finish this message with Pastor Jeff.
0: Now let's put the second log on the fire and get up to 88 miles an hour, okay? Those of you born after 1985 will get that. The mission of Baal or the Baalim has always been to cause a nation to draw away from God's word, draw away from God's law and live as though they never knew his ways. How he does that. Okay. Now, when I wrote this, I thought they're going to really like the first part and the second part, not so much because we also are told how Baal can do that. How can he turn a culture away from Yahweh? Because it's reflected in his title because Baal is the God of prosperity. Not only is he the king of the gods, the leader of spirits, the god of fertility. His worshippers call on him in hopes of prosperity. So, how do then the bells operate in the modern world? I mean, the spirits don't center on the fruit or yields of the earth because we're no longer an agrarian society. So, the baleen historically adapt to culture and center on modern equivalents. So, the financial Seeding and yield, monetary profit and increase, materialism and greed. God is no longer the ultimate pursuit in America. Let's be honest, materialism and wealth are. The number one thing that keeps people out of church is because they have the money to do something else. In the scriptures, God is called the almighty. In America, we've dubbed our own currency as the almighty dollar. Jonathan Kahn wrote a book, and I know many of you don't know who he is, and I, quite frankly, I don't really enjoy it that many of his books, but I think he's onto to something here. He's written a book called "The Return of the Gods," and here's what he says: "The spirit of Bell could not be contained in the halls of business, referring to America. It was everywhere. Americans pursued money, served money, were driven by money, and worshiped money as much as the ancients had worshiped their idols. American life became increasingly monetized. The spirit of Bell even went to church. Oh man, is that a sermon? Could we stop there? Could I preach a sermon right now? How many churches tell their people, you give all your money to the church, you're going to be rich? That's evangelism. Because your motivation is not to love and serve God, but to what? Get rich. So you're using God to get what you really serve. Oh my goodness, that's a sermon in and of itself. And I hope if I ever sound like that, my buddy Rick Reed over here just come and smack me right in the face, right on stage. I can take him. He thinks I can't, but I can take him. (laughs) He goes on, he says, as in ancient times when Baal worship was added to the worship of God, so now the doctrines of Baal, the pursuit of the material prosperity and personal gain and success above all things, invaded the sanctuary. And this is what he says, and so what could have been a protection, an antidote against the invasion was compromised. The church was supposed to resist that, but it embraced it because far too many pastors are building their own kingdom rather than God's. Now, here's what's mind boggling. Bell is often portrayed as a bearded, helmeted figure with a lightning bolt in his hand. But do you know what the preeminent (laughs) symbol of Bell is? The bull. The bull embodied power and fertility, strength and prosperity. So, if you make a trip to Wall Street today, Wall Street, the ultimate of America's pursuit of money, the doorway of American lust for monetary gain, outside its building, you're going to find its emblem. The representation of its pursuits, the Wall Street bull. Now, I'm not saying that the bull came to Wall Street because everybody wanted a connection to the bell, but it did come. The symbol of American prosperity is the same symbol of ancient national prosperity. The fact that it was done without any conscience intent is even more striking. The bull represented something else in ancient Israel as well the symbol of a nation's apostasy from God. The younger version of the bull is called the agel, or young bull, or bull calf. It became the symbol created out of gold at the foot of Mount Sinai when the people were rebelling against God. Centuries later, Jeroboam, who had led the rebellion to divide the nation of Israel into two parts, he erected two golden male young bulls and demanded that the people of God worship them. Pastor Jeff, what's your point? If the site of American materialism is the financial district in New York City, if the demonic forces relegated to the fringes by the Jesus movement have returned, then they would want their presence tied to the symbols of the ancient world. The symbols would return as they march into the city of man and stake their claim and i find it almost uncanny that in december of 1899 a massive 11 feet tall 16 feet long 7100 pound molten image the bull was erected in the place of ultimate materialism and it was later moved to a location where it could stand on as a permanent landmark of america but it remained in america's financial district The description next to the bull goes like this a symbol of aggressive financial optimism and prosperity. And the sign of the bull, it's downright menacing. The nostrils are flaring out. The bull is in attack mode. It's angry, dangerous, aggressive, and a belligerent force, symbolizing the American pursuit, even demand and entitlement of wealth and prosperity. I wonder if when Jesus said, pay attention, watch, look for the signs, if this is part of it. No more Ten Commandments in public. Crosses are also being banned now. It's coming. And Christians are being told to hold their religious views in private while the prophets and tenants of Baal are taking center stage. And then, one more sign. There's the Arch of Palmyra. Baal's role is significant all throughout human history. And again, manifested in different idols, shapes, and forms, but the same God. There are two other gods that we're gonna discuss in the weeks ahead. But Baal is the primary god, he's the ringleader. He is significant in the destruction of societies, especially in the fall of Israel. But did you know that in the first century, the same century that Jesus came to save mankind from their sins, in the city of Palmyra, which is present day Syria, a temple was erected on Baal's behalf, same century. A hundred years later, a second temple was built. The first temple was called Temple of Baal after the Babylonian name. The second temple was called Temple of Baal which means Lord of the heavens, God of the skies. Both temples would remain standing for 2,000 years. Now, after the second temple was built, and you know what we mean by temple, right? This is the place you go and you pray and you worship and you fast and you shout mantras, you chant, whatever it is you're gonna do. But after the second temple was built, a monumental arch was added called the Arch of Palmyra. And the purpose of the arch was to connect the temple and the main colonnade. For those of you who went to Turkey and Israel with me last year, you'll remember I took you into the Agora, the Agora, the marketplace. And as you go into the marketplace, the marketplace is huge arena where you buy, sell, and trade. But on the outskirts, within the marketplace though, sorry, within the city, within the walls, the temple's The false gods surround the agora. In order to be able to get into the agora to buy, sell, and trade, you had to have a certificate that you had worshiped the pagan gods. Does that remind you of anything in the book of Revelation? So now this big archway is created in order that all the citizens would have to travel through it, the archway or the Ark of Palmyra, to get to the temple to worship Baal. Now, In 2015, the jihadist organization called ISIS invaded Palmyra, systematically destroyed the entire city. I mean everything. The two temples were destroyed as well, the Agora and the Ark of Palmyra. That's 2015. One year later in 2016, the following year, a massive, mysterious object appeared in New York City. It was covered in a large white covering hidden from public view, 11 tons of Egyptian marble rising nearly 20 feet from the ground. And then on September 19th, the massive figure was finally unveiled. The large crowd cheered when they saw the recreation of the Palmyra Ark. The Ark that served as the entryway into the Temple of Baal. Now remember, Baal was the god of fertilization and increase of wealth and prosperity. And now here's the Ark. Right here in America, New York City stationed in lower Manhattan at the entrance of the city's financial district adjacent to nearby Wall Street, New York Stock Exchange, and the Bull of Wall Street. Again, Jonathan Cahn writes in his book, and I really encourage you to read it, a lot of this information you can find there, not all, but a lot. He says, the ancient ark had connected Bell's Temple with the city's main avenue. The recreated arc or arch stood by New York City's most famous and main avenue, Broadway, the modern equivalent to the great colonnade of Palmyra. So too did the molten bull; the two symbols of Baal were joined. The specific site for the arch may also be significant because it was erected on the grounds of City Hall, and New York's central seat of government featured it. And when the arch was, the arch was unveiled, back in September of 2016, one of the sponsors had the audacity to place a sign there with the name Baal written on it. The city's deputy mayor spoke and described the arch as an act of defiance. And interestingly enough, a band, because you can go back and watch this, a band played Middle Eastern music that would have been very similar to the sounds played in ancient times at the Temple of Bell. Now, does that mean everybody was trying to do this on purpose? I'm not saying that at all. I don't know anybody's motivation. I'm simply saying that it's uncanny, isn't it? That the signs of the gods have returned And when the spiritual house has been swept clean, if Christ is not present in the individual or nation, the spirits that previously possessed that house will return sevenfold. Okay, quickly, I'm almost out of time. When Baal appears in culture, when he takes center stage, historically speaking, certain things take place. Number one, the people of God turn their hearts away from God and towards something else. Two, The earth is almost always worshipped. Because man has to worship something, he turns his heart and his mind to to the largest thing he knows, which is the universe, and begins to serve the created rather than the creator. So in Egypt, you have the worship of the sun, the moon, the stars. Those are very popular. Even the Greeks and the Romans worshipped the Greek gods that represented some type of constellation. Three, man is relegated to animal level. When Baal comes back, man is no more than animal. There's no uniqueness to him. No ultimate restrictions, no ultimate worth. The purpose of living is to give in to all your animal lust. That's only to be accepted and encouraged. There's no higher standard, no reason. But here's the fourth one and how I want to end. You know, Bella's return when man's ultimate pursuit becomes prosperity and pleasure. How do you know that the demonic forces have deceived you? Your God is money. You serve, worship, and trust in money. If you have it, you're happy. If you don't, you're miserable. When you wake up in the morning, your first thought is, how can I get more of this stuff? You're willing to sacrifice your marriage for it. You'll sacrifice your children for it. You'll violate your own ethics to get more of it. Because only when you have more of it do you feel worthy. You believe deep inside that unless you drive a certain type of car and live in a certain type of community or house, that your life has no real meaning to it. And the reason you feel that way is your God now is money. And the demonic forces behind the fall of America and the West use as their primary tool Distraction by affluence. Man, it's time for the church. You got, we got to wake up, folks. We got to become spiritually woke. And guess what Jesus says is the ultimate test. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's he saying? Jesus is not laying down some kind of law to tell you if you don't do this, I'm going to get you. He's giving you a scripture to help you determine who you really are. The further you move away from God, the less generous you become. The more self-centered you become, the more narcissistic you become, the more stuff you accumulate, the bigger houses you build. But Jesus said in Luke 12, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So the closer you get to God, the more generous you become. You become less self-centered, less narcissistic, less about accumulation. You take less selfies. (laughs) And somewhere along the line, you finally say enough is enough. This is not so much a command that Jesus gives, but a litmus test. You know what the definition of a litmus test is? It's a crucial and revealing test in which there is one decisive factor. And here's what it is. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus says, you want to know where your heart is? It's not just because you pray, because in your prayers, you could be manipulating God. It's not by singing and worshiping. You can still be manipulating God. It's not by serving. You can say, well, God, I'll do this for you, but you got to do this for me. It's not even by giving your money to the church because you can do tit for tat in that. I'll give you money, God, if you give me money. What is it then? The ultimate question of your life, folks, If you want to know you're on the right path and the gods who have returned marching in the streets of man have not swayed you, the number one test, what are you investing your life in? There it is. And what are you investing your life in? What do you care about the most? What gets you up in the morning? What do you think about? What really matters to you? I had a friend just recently tell me, you know, I got to be careful of the decisions I make because my faith is everything to me. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Remember Wayne Canero holds up that bar of steel and I'm, I'm probably in my late 20s and all these young pastors are out there and he holds up this bar of steel. Remember, and he says, take this bar of steel. If you went and just took it and took it to the aluminum or steel factory, they'll give you $6 for it. But if you turn it into 16 penny nails, it'll be worth $60. If you convert it to sewing needles, it'll be worth $600. If you turn it into cutlery and knife blades, $6,000. But if you take the same bar of steel, you convert it into very fine Swiss watch springs, it's worth $6 million. And then he looked at us young pack and said, what changed its worth? And he said, that in which it's invested. What is your life about? What are you building? What matters to you most? I don't know why... I had another anxiety attack, and I haven't had one in a long time. And here's the problem. It could be so many different things, couldn't it? It could be God slapping me around again. Hey, getting off track a little bit here. You're forgetting that you need me. You're speeding through the day. I'm going to have to slap you around a little bit. I'll take it. It could be the devil. You're not going to take my territory. I'm going to make you tired. I'm going to make you weary. I'm going to make everything fall apart around you. I'm not letting you go to do this series without a fight. Yeah, but greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. When I woke up in the middle of the night, I sat up, I was determined not to wake Robin up and I just started doing this. Our father who art in heaven, I will be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. on the- And I just kept praying, praying and praying. Resist the devil, he has to flee. If you are possessed with possessions, if you hoard rather than give, if you spend more on yourself than upon anything else, if your blessings distract you from the things of God, then guess what? The demonic forces have grabbed hold of you. They got you. How do you deal with a demon possessed man? See, what I'm trying to get you to see is that everything you see out in the world, there's demonic influence. When you get into discussion with somebody that hates you and yells at you, what's going on there? What's going on when you turn on the television and you say, Do people really think that way? Or you want to say to somebody, Why can't we just have a logical conversation without aiding each other? You know the answer. So, how do you deal with a demon possessed man? And how do you deal with a demon possessed culture? What did Jesus do? When Jesus met a demon-possessed man, did he just scream at him? You're going to hell, man! I hate you! He cast out the Spirit. The power that you and I have, see, I love my country. I really do. I really do but my, my citizenship is in heaven and I, I want to see the country do well. But if you want to see the country do well, it starts when there's a revival in the church. Amen. And then when the revival happens in the church, they start praying against the evil spirits. If you're so concerned about culture, how much praying are you doing against the evil demonic possession that's in our culture? How much pray? Or do you just shout, yell, and snipe from the bushes? Oh, we love to do that. But how, many of us are, how many of us are experiencing revival in our lives where we're saying, you know, I'm going to live for the kingdom of God. I've realized now more than ever, this kingdom of the world is wacky. It's just crazy. But I'm going to live for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I'm going to start praying. And I'm going to get my life right with Jesus. And I'm going to live a Christian life. And when I meet people like this that frustrate me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to pray for them. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to pray for them here's what we do. Acknowledge the demonic world. Acknowledge acknowledge the reality of their influence on the unprotected, the reality of those willing and unwilling hosts. It's a demonic world. Don't blame everything on Satan, but understand there's a a demonic influence in our world. Hold your head up high. Be thankful you're in part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay. Be thankful and pray for those. Pray for your enemies. Wow. We've heard that before okay? Acknowledge the methods of the demonic world. They want to get in the foot in the door and then take all the territory they can get out of you. Don't let them have a foot in the door. Anything in your life that should not be in your life, get rid of it now. If you don't, it's a foot in the door and he'll start knocking on the other doors of the other rooms in the house. Okay. Three, acknowledge the danger to your children. Listen, I'm not so sure, okay, I got to be careful here, but I'm not so sure that sending your kid away for eight hours is a good idea. I'm not sure that was the best way to educate our kids way back when we started doing this. Somebody else has influence over your kid for most of their young lives. But if you choose to do that, and that's the only option you have, you better aggressively teach them when you have them at home. If you don't, don't, they'll be swayed, man. And it'll be, if you wait till they're 13, oh my goodness. It's not only the church's job to teach your kids, man. You got kids, you better invest in them. Sometimes it's better even to make less money and invest in your kids. All right? And four and finally, acknowledge the reality and method of winning the spiritual battle. Prayer and revival. Prayer and revival. So instead of sniping from the bushes at culture, how about you and I renewing our commitment to Jesus Christ, pursuing holiness in our lives, teaching our kids the ways of Jesus. And in doing that, who knows that we can start a movement. That's how it's going to happen. Not by legislation, not by picketing, not by shouting how bad the world is. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Your job is not to go out and try to save culture. It's to pull people out of it into the kingdom of God. That's your job. The byproduct of living a righteous life, though, will change culture. The byproduct of pursuing holiness and righteousness and revival will change this land. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power of the word. Father, I pray that somehow all this information, that it would make its way down deep from our eyes being open to one truth to another truth until finally we're able to stand back and become spiritually woke and then we are prepared and then we are ready. But I pray for repentance in the church, for revival in prayer. And I pray right now, as we have these few minutes left, that as we enter a time of worship, that we would just acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from you, that we are so blessed to be part of a kingdom that is not going to be shaken, a kingdom that is of God, by God, for God, and for us. And that we have a savior that has sacrificed his life, that we may live eternally with him in heaven. Help us to celebrate that. Give us us a Open our eyes to that, that we become so motivated and so passionate that we would give you our best because you've given us yours in Christ's name. Amen.
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts.